I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. As we mentioned in our last episode, this is a very special episode. Very focused (laughs) episode. Very October episode. Very much so. Why don't you give a little intro spiel to what we're going to be doing here? So this past week, um, past weekend, actually, we had the pleasure of watching all four films in the Not Your Final Girl series um, put on at Metro Cinema, curated by Nicole Boychik. Um, It's a series that's been ongoing since 2018 with a little bit of a brief gap when theaters weren't open in between. Um, and I'm going to read the curatorial statement because I think it says everything that needs to be said about what this film series is about. So Not Your Final Girl is a celebration of contemporary and classic film providing engaging discourse and cultural reflection of feminist cinema within the binds of horror and genre film. Historically, the female archetype in these films falls into sexualization and victimization. The final girl is the stereotypical surviving female protagonist, frequently portrayed as an underdeveloped character and as an overt sex symbol. Not Your Final Girl aims to showcase films where female protagonists are multidimensional and able to express the emotions that women are so often told to suppress, destroying preconceived notions of feminine passivity and weakness. That's great. Yeah, I, I love that beautiful. right up. Yeah. It was, uh, it was very cool to attend this, this year. So it was four films, and they were all, they were all across Thanksgiving weekend here mm-hmm. in Canada. <laughs> so, you know, we made the commitment to this far before we made any family commitments to, you know, whatever whatever drama goes on with that. We're like, we made a commitment. We're going to see these movies. Yeah, we may have gotten some side eyes and comments for missing the Burton family taco Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oops. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I kind of got off a little scot free because my family wasn't really doing anything <laughs> over the weekend. So I was I was on easy street. But yeah, we had to do a little dipping and diving. It was totally it was totally worth it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we've we've uh, seen a, like a film here or there in the series in the past, but we've never managed to see all of them in one go. Mm-hmm. And it was really great. Um, and I'm excited to talk about them. Yeah, and um, I like the I like the films that Nicole has put together here. I think it's a really great collection. So let's get into it. The first film was one was one that I was really highly anticipating seeing in general this year. And I'm really glad that it came to Metro and was a part of this series. It's the film from 2022, You Won't Be Alone. It's a drama slash horror film written and directed by Goran Stavlevsky. And it stars Yumi Rapace as Bosilka, Alice Englert as Bill Iana, uh, Anna Maria Morinka as Maria and Sarah Klimoska as Nevenu. The synopsis is set in an isolated mountain village in 19th century Macedonia. You Won't Be Alone follows a young girl who is kidnapped and then transformed into a witch by an ancient spirit. Curious about life as a human, the young witch accidentally kills a peasant in a nearby village and then takes her victim's shape, takes her victim's shape to live life in her own skin. Her curiosity ignited, she continues to wield this horrific power in order to understand what it means to be human. Whew, that's a long-winded title, but I felt like that, or synopsis, I felt like that really paints the picture of the story that you're about to get into. Um, so like I said, we were really excited for this one. Glad to see it in the theater. What'd you think of it? I really liked this movie. Yeah, it was a really great kickoff to this series. It was also one that um, I had wanted to see previously and just hadn't gotten around to it, so it was really awesome to have this intentional reason to go and see it again. Um, in our last episode, which just came out a couple of days ago, we talked about this idea of internal film. And I think I like that phrasing better than slow burn, mm-hmm. which I think is the phrasing that's used a lot um, for something that is more experiential as opposed to plot based and um following a more traditional format. So now using that language of internal film, this was an internal film to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In every sense of the word, it felt like a gut punch. And, you know, I, I think for a witch, a story about witches mm-hmm. and it, you know, it kind of, it's set up that it had a vibe like one of, our favorite horror movies, The Witch or mm-hmm. The Vavitch, if you will. <laughs> it had that sort of unsettling sort of vibe that The Witch has, but it is so much more heartbreaking. And, and, and I, I, I found myself so much more emotionally just kind of in emotional duress <laughs> throughout it just because of the arc of our uh, main character that we're following. Yeah, they're almost inverted arcs, mm-hmm. like Robert Eggers' The Witch and this, because this takes what we understand about what a witch is and then kind of turns that on its head, mm-hmm. right? And explores the different ways to be a witch. And if that isn't speaking to, you know, the one of the goals of Not Your Final Girl, which is to look at 
women characters in multidimensional ways and to destroy preconceived notions, right? If which is a stand in for a woman mm -hmm. and how women are thought of in the world, then looking at this person who becomes a witch not by choice. Yeah. And how she navigates that, especially in comparison to the witch who witches her, mm -hmm. is really fascinating. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that a lot. And it, it's kind of funny because you, you said it shows the different ways to be a witch. But I actually wrote down it shows the different ways to be human. And what that kind of means in the larger scheme of things, whether it's society or community uh, and how you fit into that or how those entities perceive you as a person mm -hmm. and how do you operate within them and what's right, what, what's the right way to do it? What's the wrong way to do it? And what is, what kind of um, thoughts or characteristics or ideas about you, they have already put on you, even if you haven't met people within them. I don't know. It was like a very, it, it it felt like a very human story at its core, even though it's, you know, it, it's through the lens of being a witch. Mm -hmm. Well, it takes that as a starting point and our associations with the term witch mm -hmm. to then explore it in new ways. And I think ultimately, you know, when you just said, you know, what is right and what is wrong, I think this movie attempts and, and for me is successful in destroying that kind of binary thinking. Mm -hmm. Like this is a a story that implodes that there's one right way to be or that there's only two options. Mm -hmm. I think. It um it's been compared I, I was seeing online afterwards to the work of Terrence Malick, but I ain't never seen anything by Terrence Malick. Yeah, have we so have we seen we haven't seen a thing? I haven't seen a thing. I don't know if you have. Have you seen the Tree of Life? No. What's then, on the list, though? Oh, I don't know. A bunch of stuff like that. <laughs> um, but so some people were bothered by that. Like, oh, it borrows heavily from Terrence Malick. But because I've never seen anything that he's done, so some of the movies that he's done, Badlands, Days of Heaven, The Thin Red Line, The New World, The Tree of Life, To the Wonder, Night of Cups, Voyage of Time, Song to Song, A Hidden Life. I've yeah. seen none of those. I haven't seen any of it. Um, who cares? <laughs> who who cares that it's borrowed from like why uh okay i the point i'm more trying to make is that because we've never seen anything by terrence malick that didn't impact me in any way yeah and same. at some point if we go to watch a terrence malick film we might be we might have just set ourselves up for a twin peaks effect right where we've seen these films that are influenced by his work yeah. without having seen his work itself yeah. um i don't think people were overly bothered by it they were just like oh it Better not be. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you have you have uh, things to say to people, eh? Well, one thing that stuck out for me that I think really helped make the story so emotional and such a gut punch, like I said, was the first-person narration throughout the whole thing. And I, I loved the way that it was done because there was so much of it, and I felt like it was such a smart way to deliver... I don't know like it it's kind of weird to make this comparison but the way that a ghost story made me feel mm -hmm. without saying anything mm -hmm. is the same way that this made me feel just using the first person narrative actually i did see some people comparing it 
in a feeling-based way to a ghost story. Mm -hmm. So there's not necessarily this direct line to what's similar about them, but that it made them feel some similar things. And, you know, this, um, this film, most of it is told through the pairing of imagery and this almost poetic narration. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like poetry. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is some dialogue, but it's pretty sparse, I would say. Um, And I think that's something that you're either, you're going to know within 10 minutes if you're into that or not. Yeah. Um, And this is a really divisive film in that way. Like either I was bored and I didn't get what the point of it was, or I just, blah, 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 mm-hmm. um, which is totally fine and acceptable. And also I think can change depending on your state of mind and your mood and that kind of thing. Now what I will say, so it's this internal film told kind of through poetry, um, but it's also got some icky stuff in it. Yeah, so some great stuff. I I liked the gross, icky moments mm-hmm. a lot. We'll be um, enacting them in our household probably for the rest of time. Yeah. <laughs> There's a a moment the first time something like really icky happens that uh, I personally was not expecting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. They're few and far between. Like if you're going into this being like horror movie, horror movie, horror movie, I actually think this movie is much more about the horror of how people treat each other and like the cruelty of the human world mm-hmm. and the cruelty of cycles of violence um, than it is about like eat, eat, eat horror, right? Like, so <laughs> like monkeys. <laughs> yeah, definitely like <laughs> monkeys. Um, Cause this is almost like a pastoral film. Like it's very dreamy at times. And then it's like punctuated by these moments of cruelty or sadness or trauma. And sometimes it's like pretty effective, icky, bloody stuff Mm -hmm. but it's but it's few and far between Mm -hmm. but yeah loved it it was so well done and it was yeah it was crafted beautifully like i think i think the whole thing was in like a four three ratio which i i I love oh yeah i always get excited at metro when they've got that aspect ratio Right when the movie starts, the curtains go. Yeah, red curtains. Yeah. <laughs> and they, and they close. They, they just come towards each other, and then they stop, and you're like, "Oh, it's such it's such a small detail that movie theaters don't do anymore." That I'm so happy Metro still does is they still open the red curtains at the beginning of the show, and they close them at the end of the show, and then yeah, they readjust based on aspect ratio. It was. I was like, "Oh, cool, we're getting one of these kind Hell of movies." Yeah, I'm into it. Mm-hmm. But the way that this was. this was shot um yeah like it it gave me very the witch robert eggers kind of vibes but the witch is a much darker movie in more way than one thematically and visually Mm -hmm. it's a pretty um nighttime movie yeah whereas a lot of this is during the day well and the witch feels like i mean maybe it's unfair to compare the two of them but it's just what kind of sticks out in my head but the witch feels very third person this feels very first person yeah um, even though it's not directly. internal, yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> but there's a lot of like close up and very kinetic looking shots throughout, and like interesting crops that happen within the composition of each of the shots, and that just makes it just feel very personal. Well, and through the the story mostly being told through this 
internal narration of Navenna, it feels like we are experiencing the film through her exclusive lens. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's pretty difficult to not draw comparisons to the witch, but I actually don't see much in common between them personally. Yeah. Other than they're both about witches. There's just like some aesthetic threads that I, that I also kind of see, but again, it's very, that's why I say it's maybe not fair to compare the two because they're not apples to apples. No, they are not apples to apples. That's Apple. a board game. <laughs> that's a good one too. I haven't played it in a while. Um, something that I thought might be worthwhile to talk about for us is obviously um, Nicole curated these films with that curatorial statement in mind, but I thought it might be useful for us to talk about how we see these films fitting into the Not Your Final Girl mm. banner. Um, and so for me, I saw Nivenna, uh, like through her nature, using the powers that she has to experiencing everything instead of hiding from everything, which I think is often how the monster or the witch is depicted is like cowering and hiding in the shadows and then just coming out to enact violence or survival mm -hmm. instinct. But instead it's about reaching out into the world to try to touch everything and experiencing everything, um, not to hide or to create fear. Mm -hmm. And I see that as part of the multidimensionality and this refusal to suppress her desire to experience the world um, even when that character has been born into the world through suppression, mm -hmm. like she's been raised in suppression and wanting to get out of that, despite these figures in her life, trying to hold her back from it. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I'd say for me, it's, it's very similar and just that kind of refusal to dampen her curiosity. Mm. Like she, the, she wants to have these experiences. She she wants to, again, get out of this cycle of suppression and experience life in a way that only her being a witch allows her to. I, I, I And I like that nothing stands in her way. Nothing's kind of off limits to what she wants to experience. And she goes for it. Mm -hmm. And the the power and the gumption to do that is is really great to see and makes her such an interesting character to follow throughout the whole story. Yeah, this was great. I love this as the, as the start to the series. How did it make you feel? Made me feel very existential. Mm, yeah. And this was a, um, it's hard for me to give a film that out of nowhere tears are just pouring down my face and I didn't expect it to happen. It's hard mm -hmm. for me not to um, elevate that to like one of my favorites there was a point in this film where with just one line of narration, I all of a sudden just started sobbing and I like didn't expect that to happen. There wasn't any buildup to it. It was just this line that was said and the culmination of all these like internal existential philosophical feelings that had been like swirling around in me as I'm watching these images and hearing these words. This one line just kind of broke them from the internal part of me into the external part of me. Mm -hmm. um, and when a movie can do that for me, it automatically rises to a top top tier movie for me personally. Yeah. I think that's a great word, existential. 
Um, cause yeah, I was definitely feeling that. I was also just, I, I was feeling so, I was just kind of enamored by the, the character of Nevena and her journey. I mean, that was, you know, there was, I also felt brokenhearted at times. I felt like this kind of ripped out my guts a little bit, but all in the best way. And that, that, that experience too, like, it's so cool there's been, I think we talked about this just like a couple episodes ago now where there's just these movies that have been coming out that just have one line in them that just have the so much power behind them just to make us feel so emotional. And sometimes it can even be just like one visual. Yeah. Where you're like, oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. I am still reeling after After Sun. I don't, I don't think I'll ever not be reeling after After Sun, but uh, this movie has a um, very different focus than after sun but i would call them part of the same feeling yeah oh i agree okay next one so the second movie in the not your final girl 2022 series was the film trouble every day this came out in 2001 it is classified on imdb as a drama horror thriller and it's directed and written by claire denis um, and co-written by Jean-Paul Fargo. Um, it stars Beatrice Dalle as Corey, Vincent Gallo as Shane, Trisha Vesse as June, and Alex Decat as Leo. And the synopsis is two American newlyweds in Paris experience a love so strong it almost devours them. Um, we had never seen a Claire Denis film before this, although High Life has been on my radar for a while. It's Robert Pattinson's in it. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's an A24 film. But this one is one that I've actually had in my watch list for a while and didn't really know much about it. It just kind of, I think it's on a couple of letterbox lists that I like a lot of the films on. It's just kind of shown up every once in a while. So I was excited that this came to the theater because it's one that's kind of been on my radar, but not at the top of my radar. What do you think of Trouble Every Day? Yeah, I... You know, having not seen any Claire Denis films, I don't really like I know she's a highly regarded filmmaker, but I I don't know really anything about her work. Like I only know a couple names of her movies, Mm -hmm. don't really know what her vibe is or what she's bringing to the table. And for this one, Trouble Every Day, throughout the whole movie, I was engaged because I didn't know what it was about and know what to expect. It it definitely had me leaning in the whole time and just (laughs) wondering what's going to happen next and where the story was going. Um, but this was this was intense. Mm -hmm. Like it, and like when we walked out of the out of the theater, I couldn't help but kind of feel upset. (laughs) Like there was just an upsetting feeling that just kind of sat with me did you feel that at all yes <laughs> i did uh, and it kind of sat with me for the rest of the night it was kind of it was kind of tough to shake which makes it kind of difficult for me to be like did i like the movie or it do i just you know to use facebook statuses is it complicated <laughs> <laughs> trouble every day how did you feel it's complicated yeah well i mean yeah it's tricky this isn't something that I would be like, yes, go watch it immediately. Yeah. Um, it does feel 
like a very studyable film. Big time. Like this feels like something that I could have taken in uh, one of my gender studies classes from my my first undergraduate degree. Um, and it would have been really interesting to like pick it apart. At the same time, though, it's deeply upsetting. Mm-hmm. Like there are some really, really, really upsetting sexually violent moments in the film mm-hmm. that uh, I think are supposed to leave you feeling pretty crappy. I would hope. Well, and, and like those those scenes too, we kind of talked about it. We won't get into detail here, but they're, they're, they're similar, but they elicit different responses from you as an audience member. And then in turn, it makes you kind of question that response that you had. Where like you kind of think, you kind of lean towards one is maybe more justified than another. And you're like, is that right? Probably not. But it, it just get, it just kind of burrows into your head and starts making you think about a, a, lot, of, a lot of stuff. Yeah, I don't know that I... Um, there's a scene of sexual violence with a woman as a perpetrator. Then there's a scene of sexual violence with a man as a perpetrator. Um, and I don't know that I thought the woman was justified, mm-hmm. but I just was more like, yeah, good for her. Like that's kind of where my brain went, like in mm-hmm. a, you know, in a way that I like the movie Raw and I like the movie Titan. And it's, you know, part of it is like cheering for that, that woman who's doing monstrous things despite the monstrous things she's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you have that counterpoint of a very similar scene, but with the, a man as a perpetrator, and I feel so awful mm-hmm. and I feel so uncomfortable and I feel like really, really, really upset. It makes me reevaluate why I didn't feel that way. Yeah. With the woman. I, 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 I wouldn't use the language that I thought she was justified. Yeah. I just like the scene didn't bother me. Like there was a couple of things that were like squeamish in them, but I was like, oh yeah, squeamish. Right. Like in the, and in the other scene, I was just very deeply upset. Yeah, justify is the wrong word, but yeah, that's exactly that's exactly it. It's just like you're kind of like, fuck yeah, like she's like she's like taking down this whatever this this crappy dude or whatever, and yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of icky and gross and squelchy, but or at least we felt that way. I don't know that everybody would. Maybe we're not as evolved as we should be. Well, um, there, well, like because in that moment. You definitely heard a lot more audible like, oh, oh, Mm -hmm. and it it was like, for lack of a better word, like more like playful. And it was like more at the some of the more grosser like components of it, the gorier components of it. Well, there's a degree to which I think most people who like horror movies, or at least I'm going to talk about myself here. We want gore or I want gore. Mm -hmm. And that scene kind of makes good on the promise of this film being bloody and gory. Mm. And I feel like there's an extent to which I excuse that kind of blood gore violence in a horror movie. And it feels like a horror movie in that scene. Big time. But the other scene doesn't feel like a horror movie. It feels like, uh, it feels like a scene of realism. Yeah. And uh, I don't know enough about Claire Denis to know. I'm assuming that this is very purposeful, and I mean, even within that, though, one of the things that I was talking about, because there's these two characters who have these, so Corey and Shane, who have these um, 
these, you know, it depends on the way you want to look at it. Like some people call this a cannibal film. Um, I think you could look at this like through a lens of like sexual desire. I think people do look at it that way. And they both have these very similar desires. And both of them are married. And in the one with Corey, she is, her desires are suppressed by her spouse. Like literally locked away. Whereas with Shane, he keeps them hidden and anything that his wife suspects, she kind of just allows to happen and like doesn't challenge or pretends she doesn't know. And I do think there's something really fascinating and troubling, trouble every day, um, being explored about the nature of desire societally for women and for men and how that is either allowed or suppressed. Mm. And by having these two characters with these same desires treated in different ways and then having the audience reaction to them perhaps be different in these scenes that mirror each other, um, I think it it allows for this exploration of, well, how do we treat sexual desire for men and women in our own world, mm-hmm. even when it's the same desire? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Prior to the screening, um, Nicole, who curated the event, she said that she sees this film as being about the carnage of desire. Yeah. And um, I think that carnage can be looked at both very literally, like the physical carnage of desire in this film, but also the social carnage of desire and who is who is made obsolete or object through desire and whose desires do that. Yeah. And yeah, and like who gets consumed by that desire of others. Yeah, I don't know. And I think that overall it was made a lot more visceral by the style that Claire Denis chose to shoot this. Yeah. Which was a lot of close-ups and like hyper close-ups and and framing that felt off. Like we, we were in like a dialogue scene where we're just punched in so close on people's faces that like the bot, like their chin and just above their eyebrows are cut off. And so you're just like, like so tight in on their faces. And I read something, I, I was trying to find it again because I should have screenshotted it or written it down. So I can't remember if it was in a letterboxd review or if this was in like a published article about how the camera seems to both simultaneously like mirror what the audience or at least what Claire Denis wants the audience to feel, which is this like, I am in the scene, but I'm edging away from it. Like at times it feels like the camera is like skirting to the edges to try and get like off the person talking. Mm-hmm. Like it's both in the scene and fleeing the scene at the same time. Yeah. Well, and it's, there's a, there's a number of scenes that do like this unique punch in close ups and like these kind of slow pans that happen across different things. And there's moments where we're kind of lingering on something and you're like, wow, that's an interesting choice. And then all of a sudden we realize that we're that that, that previous shot was a first person shot. Mm-hmm. It was something that a person was looking at or fixating on. And then as an audience member, that makes you feel kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, and so like the this language of internal that we are using more frequently in this episode and the past one, but probably will continue on 
because this film, I agree with you, I was really engaged with it and it really had me hooked in a way that felt internal, mm-hmm. but then kind of bit by bit, almost without realizing it becomes external Yeah, in a way that then created like a deep discomfort in me for like feeling like it created those feelings in me and then confronted me with those feelings as opposed to letting them just like linger inside me and have me like feel the way I want to feel about them. Like, and you won't be alone in this one. It was like, Oh, and then here you're confronted with this thing that's been swirling around inside you by the end of the film Mm -hmm. and, uh, not, not a like super fun feeling. I will say. Yeah. This is a tread lightly film. Like maybe look some stuff up about it before you watch it. It's part of, um, it's been included in the new French extremity discussion that it's like a part of that movement. And you and I haven't seen a lot of movies from it. Um, but the films of Gaspar Noé are often included in it. Mm. Um, I think particularly irreversible, which we haven't seen. Um, but high tension. Remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and murders, the original French one are, considered a part of that and we have seen those two films so i feel like we have seen more of the like horror ones but new french extremity is not all horror so um just from the wikipedia page uh, new french extremity was coined by james kwan in an art forum uh critique um describing transgressive films by french directors at the turn of the 21st century um that often contain savage violence and sexual ugliness with a soul lurking underneath the shocks. And that was, yeah, that was um, said by David Fear about the movie Flanders. So I feel like we've often looked at the more like horror ones. And this one is maybe a different side of New French Extremity that we haven't really seen a lot of. Because mm. it's teetering on the edge a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not such like overtly explicit horror as like a high tension or a martyrs. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah. I think that we'll continue to dive into some of those films as just we've kind of continued our journey of expanding the the kinds of films that we've watched, especially more recently. I wanted to say too, that another thing that kind of added to that feeling of upset discomfort was I didn't know that Vincent Gallo was in this. And there's just like this air about Vincent Gallo that makes me feel <laughs> a little icky even though the only things that I know about him are that he made the film and started in the film Brown Bunny, which has unsimulated sex scenes in it. I think Col- just one unsimulated scene, scene of, of fellatio with um, Chloe Savini. Yeah. Which was like, I feel like you couldn't be a person who loves movies at the time that that came out and not hear about it. Yeah. Um, I've never seen that movie. Has it has a low rating, but like, <laughs> <laughs> that's a low rating um, but people like his first movie a lot um is it buffalo 66 is that what it's yeah called? I, th- I think so and it has christina ricci in it do you like christina ricci? i also really like chloe savini yeah um so i know that and i also know this one quote from him which is i don't trust or love anyone because people are so creepy creepy creep creeps creeping around creeping here and creeping there Creeping everywhere. Is that is that real? Because that feels like it's not real. It was in like quotes on his IMDb. <laughs> when when did he say that? <laughs> I don't know, but do we need to know? Because that is something. I mean, wow. 
That is one of the best quotes I've ever heard. He does have a um yeah, a feeling about him. <laughs> yes. Um and he, I have a good good casting choice here because like the second he's on the scene, it feels on the scene. The second he's <laughs> the second he's in a scene. <laughs> Vincent Gallup <laughs> on, on the, the scene. scene. Um it just feels like the other shoe is gonna drop eventually. And it does. Yeah. Uh yeah, it in terms of that, the how it fits into not your final girl, I I am really fascinated with looking at those two characters in tandem with each other. Because we the film really does have these like two narratives happening alongside each other, right? And it plays with like timelines subtly, kind of intermingling with each other, which kind of also it's like parallel, but it's not which is an interesting way of presenting the story of these two characters that are mm-hmm. kind of following that same path. Yeah. So I, I am, I'm interested in, you know, Corey and how she's treated as compared to Shane and how, how he's treated. Um, but it is a, a heavy bleak. It's a bleak film. How did it make you feel? Uh, discombobulated. Oh, um, and uncomfortable upset even but yeah it i think that it's a movie viewing experience that i won't forget Mm -hmm. like it's kind of stuck with me uh there's some very visceral stuff that happens in this that i think was i mean it was done very well executed very well but yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of sticking with me what about you by the time the movie was over it was a different experience while i was watching it but after the final 15, 20 minutes and, and the credits rolling, it just felt kind of hollowly icky. Yeah. yeah. Like it made me feel icky about the world. Yeah. And a little bit like, this is one of those like, uh, there's a letterbox list called The World is Hell Hopeless Cinema. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt. Is this on it? Probably. You know? Yeah. Okay. Let's go to something that was actually a lot lighter. Um, oh, yeah. Probably the lightest of the batch of films in the Not Your Final Girl series. It was the 2019 comedy horror. Again, so throwing some comedy in there, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, film Bit. It was directed and written by Brad Michael Elmore. It stars Diana Hopper as Duke, Nicole Maines as Laurel, Zoli Griggs as Izzy, Friday Chamberlain as Roya, and Char Diaz as Frog. A synopsis is a transgender teenage girl on summer summer vacation in Los Angeles fights to survive after she falls in, in with four queer feminist vampires who try to rid the city streets of predatory men. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. It's a great synopsis. So good. What did you think of Bit? It was really fun. Mm-hmm. It was interesting, though, the way that this film was framed for me because the um, prior to this, to the film playing, there was a pre-screen video from the director mm-hmm. that had like a little bit of a, I don't, cynicism isn't the right word, but like almost like a, I'm going to make like temper your expectations or like, I don't know. There's a couple of things that, that he said. He said that he made it on half the budget of a CW episode and it shows. 
And he also talked about how he's only happy with about 80% of the edit. And the other 20%, I think he said, makes him want to jump off a cliff. Yeah. Um, And I was like, oh, okay. And I think there's a lot of um, really interesting honesty happening there about the realities of creating art. Yeah. Um, Like there's almost like a frustration or like a bitterness to it. Yeah, yeah. At the same time, like he was very clear that he's really proud of this film mm-hmm. and he's really like really enjoyed working with these actors and he's really um like really proud of the work that they did together. He also did say he wasn't confident that anyone was going to be in the theater, but if you were in the theater, it means you're fucking cool. So that means that we validated are very cool. Yeah. Um and then there was yeah, there were other people there, so we were we're all very cool together. But it was it was interesting to have that kind of be the framing device of like, oh, even he is like unhappy with parts of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it was fun. Yeah, I, st- I agree. I still had I still had a lot of fun with this. And you're right. It kind of left a bit of a taste in your mouth. That's like he's proud, but he's also like feeling feelings about the final product a mm-hmm. little bit that kind of. Yeah. It was it was an interesting start, but aside from all of that, I mean the story itself. I mean I love the politics of it all. That we have a bunch of queer social justice vampires <laughs> taken down in incels. It's totally awesome. <laughs> like, it's such a badass thing. I can totally see this if Buffy were still on the air. I can totally see this being like a season arc in Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it definitely in like the pantheon of vampire media it seems to be a um child of buffy right? yeah like the, the buffy is an ancestor of this show or this movie mm-hmm. um it takes a while to get there though like it takes a mm-hmm. while to get to the like we're vampires killing shitty men together and i've seen some i think valid critiques of like what this film chooses to focus on and sometimes it doesn't feel narratively consistent Mm, yeah like the backstory of the character of laurel is like sometimes it's important and sometimes it isn't but we don't really spend much time with her prior to her meeting this group of uh, vampires um it almost feels like it would have been a really good tv miniseries yeah yeah i agree like there's just some there's also just some plot stuff that doesn't quite stick the landing and i it just after seeing it i'm kind of torn on whether is it okay that it got away with that because of the nature of the film that it just like doesn't that it is kind of the silly teen version or this kind of silly teen comedy it was a bit camp yeah and so like it's okay that some plot like it's that's also like very like buffy very like tv where you're kind of taking the piss out of what you're making and it's just like you have a plot point but then you drop it and mm. that's kind of part of the comedy of it all but there there was there was some like pretty what i felt hard-hitting things that just kind of like happened and then it's just like tossed aside well, i did i did read a really it's a very long but very thoughtful review from the letterbox user sally jane which i think we should post a link to in the show notes or we will post a link to it in the show notes for anyone who wants to read the whole thing because it really says all of the things that we are saying here much better than we can say them, but I'm just going to read the very beginning of that review, which um, says the concept is the concept of a five-star film, a perfect idea, the sort of trans cinema we've been demanding. 
but the execution fails in ways that take some of the um, bite out of it. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, and I and but it goes on to like explore that in a lot more depth um, and really thoughtfully and like from a trans lens that review. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna post that there, and and it does like I think it gets into spoilers, which is something we work really hard to avoid doing. Um, but I couldn't stop thinking about after this movie ended our conversation about bros, which we just dropped a couple days ago and how, again, if it's queer content, I'm going to be much more likely to go see it and be interested in it. Yeah. But the areas where this isn't as tight or as consistent as I might want it to be, I am much more forgiving of because I like horror and I was so much less forgiving of bros because I don't like rom-coms. Right. And like mm. in the end, I gave both of these a three. I gave bros and bite a three out of five on Letterboxd. Bit. Bit. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just the past tense yeah. of bite. <laughs> Trying to make it a present tense movie. Um, but bit, I put a heart on and bros, I did not. Right. And And I think that comes back to like, I think if I think if you like rom coms, and and you like queer content, you're probably gonna like Bros. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I think that Bit is subverting and um, transgressing and pushing in new directions the lore of vampires within this queer narrative. I think more than Bros does with the rom com, mm-hmm. which is I think another reason why, even though it wasn't a like slam dunk film for me, why I liked it, and I I would maybe watch it again. Yeah. I probably won't ever watch bros again. Yeah, I agree. Like there's just a lot more fun to be had here. I love the social justice, social justice angles that it takes and just that it is so kind of culture, culturally aware of what's going on when it has come, what, but at the time that it's come out and it still is ringing true today. And there's some good one liners in there. Oh, so good. Yeah. Um, there's a whole bit about it being called bike club. And I, I think if, this wasn't called Bit Bite Club. <laughs> Would have been a good was a close second. Um, there also was a uh, a subplot that we won't get into. Kind of the backstory of the character of Duke that was really upsetting. Yeah, and I think I think sometimes tonally that comedy and that um, the more like heavy stuff didn't always mesh. And yet I found both of those really valuable mm-hmm. and I liked both aspects of those, but it did feel a little bit like I was on a roller coaster tonally. Yeah. But it did great that. Yeah. It did great things for the characters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Specifically. Yeah. Duke who you're talking about. But then, and then we can't get into it too much, but I wasn't totally sure exactly what they were going for thematically with the ending and particularly considering the character of Duke. Like I, I think I, like the general idea that's underlying it. But I don't know that it was like consistently a focus enough in the film to justify what it's trying to say. Yeah, I agree. We kind of end in a bit of a weird place and we kind of Lord of the Rings end a little bit, kind of fade (laughs) to black and then we're coming back for another button. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Yeah, it was the ending happened really fast and I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm not I'm not actually against anything that happens in the end, but I also just for the point it's trying to make, I would have liked a little bit more exploration of it. Mm -hmm. And I would have liked more um, character motivation for some of the characters that like, I was like, Oh, 
that doesn't seem consistent with what we've learned of the character. Mm-hmm. And I wish that I'd gotten a little bit more of that, which again, I'm like, I, I think this would have made a great miniseries. Yeah. Would where you, you could actually have like a whole episode with like a backstory on this character and so on and so forth, you know? Would you have been happier if they did like a, uh, you know, and then after this, Laurel went on <laughs> to do blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I needed to know for <laughs> yeah. sure. Her character was great, like in terms of the um, Not Your Final Girl like series. Mm-hmm. I think the character of Laurel fits into that so well. And um, it was really fun to see the audience, you know, respond to this trans vampire who is just like so cool and accepted within the group that she's in and like there's somebody there was like people like snapping like snapping their fingers like you're in a slam poetry and i was like oh it just made me smile it was really cool like the audience seemed to be pretty invested in like the joy that this film offers Mm -hmm. um and that was pretty fun yeah uh yeah keep going back to that word fun Uh, that's what it was at the end of it you know there's like bits and bobs here and there that we've mentioned that were just like like that were just okay but overall like really fun experience mm-hmm. how to make you feel so i have fun written down but i'm like can you feel fun yeah i mean like i kind of went there too i said entertained and then put kind yeah. of like a bit of like fun <laughs> like good, looked, good time i looked at a thesaurus for fun and it was like jovial entertained amused i think I convivial and i was like yeah. well none of those seem right like I it felt convivial like it wasn't like entertain just seems like it was like this thing on display for me, but I felt engaged in the fun of it. That's there. That that's how I felt. I felt engaged in the fun of the film. Yeah, and I also felt very appreciative of the many ways that queerness and sexuality of vampire cinema can be explored in new ways mm-hmm. in our current climate, and like the history of that, and the way that it both honors and takes further the history of that, which like Queer for Fear episode one looks very um, in depth at like the history of queerness in vampire stories, which I like so cool to see this after having watched that episode. And then also made me think of the like just joyful inherent queerness of like all of the vampires on what we do in the shadows, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it just, made me like i'm not like a big vampire person but i love the queerness inherent to the vampire yes and i like how this movie explored that and took it anyways yeah i mean i could have gone for a lot more angel and spike kissing each other but yeah can we get a buffy reboot (laughs) with that i never watched angel so i don't know what happens there but yeah i mean there's some Angel and Spike kissing. We're we're Angel. Due for a Buffy reboot that Joss Whedon isn't involved in, right? Like everything's getting yeah. rebooted now. We're due for it. Would it? But it probably wouldn't. Probably even like it would be like Sarah Michelle, like like some young gun coming up that is the new Slayer, and she's like the. She would be Giles. I was gonna say, yeah. I'm into it. I'd watch it for sure. If anybody's listening. I'd watch a Buffy reboot, but yeah. Sarah Michelle has to be in it. But if you're listening, Joss Whedon, like you can, you do, I don't want you. Involved. You can tune out. Yeah. He is the bad dad of the Buffy universe. But, yeah, you get out of there. Okay, last movie. Let's do it. So excited to talk about this one. So mm-hmm. the final movie of the Not Your Final Girl 2022 series was the horror film Hatching. Came out in 2022, directed by Hannah Bergholm and written by her as well as Ilja Rotsi. 
Uh, it stars Siri Solalina as Tina and Sofia Hekila as the mother. Synopsis. A young gymnast who tries desperately to please her demanding mother discovers a strange egg. She hides it and keeps it warm, but when it hatches, what emerges shocks them all. What'd you think of hatching? This was another one of my highly anticipated ones. And what a treat that this whole series was bookended with the two most anticipated ones for me and that both of them were just incredible. Mm -hmm. I quite love this movie. Mm -hmm. I thought it was awesome. Um, I I love what it, I absolutely love the tone of it though. I lost track of time in this movie. You know how sometimes you're just kind of like, you feel the length of a movie and you're just kind of like, okay, I've been, we've been in this for a while. Like it's gotta be wrapping up pretty soon. I feel like when I was watching this, I kind of lost track of time. I think that the exploration of not only mother-daughter dynamics, but of mother-child or even like parent-child dynamics is is really good here. And yeah, like just like family dynamics, whatever that is. I mean, here we kind of have the, it felt really personal for me when they start like looking at like the checked out dad and, Mm. and then yeah, like the, like the the mother child dynamics and then i mean you would know better than than me but there's like a little dipshit little brother in this <laughs> <laughs> so like just like having a younger sibling that's just a little shithead okay that is so funny that you say that because um so in prior to the film playing they had a pre-screen video from filmmaker uh, Hannah, Hannah Bergholm where she said the film is about a daughter a mother and a monster uh that is a paraphrase I don't remember exactly what she said, but something to that effect. But Nicole also came up and spoke and said that she feels the film really exemplifies what it means to be an eldest daughter. And now I'm not an eldest daughter and I have two older sisters. um, So I would be really, it'd be really interesting to watch it with all my siblings and talk about the different things we related to in that. But I was thinking about the fact that you are in a two child household. You grew up in a two child household. Mm hmm. And I mean, I thought you would relate to the older sibling, younger sibling dynamic with like you and your sister mm-hmm. in some ways. But you are right that I have a, I, I love him dearly, but a dipshit little brother. <laughs> um, <laughs> he doesn't listen, but if you are listening, Jared, I love you and I'm sorry. Um, but you were uh, a little bother as a, as a child. I did take him to show and tell when he was little, little. I thought he was so cute, but then he became capable of like talking and walking and like tattling on me. Like there's a scene where the little brother like wants to tattle mm-hmm. and like gets his freaking comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that urge that's in that film where I'm like, my brother has done things like that to me. Yeah. Where I'm like, what business do you have tattling on me mm-hmm. for something that like you haven't even like asked the context about? Um, so yeah, you know, yeah, I did, I did, I did relate. Yeah. I like, I, I can't think of specific instances with my sister where it was that, but I know there was like things where like I did something and she it was like, I'm going to tell mom. <laughs> it's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Just little, be cool. Little siblings. You got to love them, but you got to just like. Deal with them. Want to. If you're Elliot Cuss, uh, break their frisbees with a golf club at the same time. Yeah, not my proudest moment—a <laughs> <laughs> real freak out <laughs> moment. Oh heavens! Um, but yeah, like 
in all of these kind of relationships within a family that it's representing here and just how it, it does a great job of representing how polarizing they can be, how there is the positive sides to it and mm-hmm. like the things that you seek on the positive spectrum. But then there's also the other side of things, the negative things that you have to cope with and deal mm-hmm. with as being part of a family unit. Yeah. This film, such a, such a great, I mean, it's just something that I see within the curation here and it, be interested interesting to hear from nicole if this was something that she thought about in terms of the like order that these were placed in Mm -hmm. is i feel a lot of um conversation between you won't be alone and hatching as in that i feel like you won't be alone is so much about like fluidity and multi-dimensionality whereas hatching is about duality yes and is about like rigidity Mm -hmm. and like the constriction of rigidity whereas you won't be alone is about the beauty of fluidity and then i see a lot of conversation between trouble every day and bit in terms of bleak versus fun power versus um like constriction of desire Mm -hmm. yeah i I think i I would be really interested to hear like um in terms of picking these four films but then also picking the order that they play in yeah and then also to what degree um you know bit and hatching were played on the same night uh to what degree that was considered as well. It'd be really interesting. I'm interested in how curation comes about because I thought it was curated really well, not just in terms of the films chosen, but the order they played in. Yeah. Well, and it's like, I mean, I don't know if this was considered or not, but like the fact that bit and hatching play in the same night, but they're also like 15 minutes apart from each other from bit ending and then hatching beginning. So that's like a short amount of time to kind of work through any feelings you had about bit positive or negative and then transition very quickly into a new film that is totally quite different. But in terms of the four films, I think bit being the first in a double feature night with a short amount in between was the best choice. I agree because it was fun and it was like pretty, like I feel like it was pretty hard to like not know what it was going for. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think it needed a lot of like sit there and processing time. Yes. Um, But if I had been asked to like, 15 minutes after trouble every day start watching bit i would have been like oh excuse me my brain can't handle this or any of them really any of the other ones first and then and oh trying to watch like you won't be alone in trouble every day in the same night would be with with a 15 minute turnaround would be very hard (laughs) very very hard but yeah it was smart like yeah i I would be also be curious to hear from nicole because yeah it was very very smart to do you won't be alone Give yourself, if you're like us and attended every film, give yourself a day, 24 hours to (laughs) process You Won't Be Alone before moving to Trouble Every Day. And then give yourself another 24 hours before getting into the fun of Bit. And then I feel like the accessibility of Hatching. Yeah, Hatching was one that I, I I loved it. Like I would use the phrase love. Yeah. I didn't just like it. I loved it. Mm Mm-hmm. But it wasn't a five out of five for me. No, like I put it, I put it out of four. Yeah, just yeah. And, and I think that's just because of an emotional thing. It's it's something we kind of talk about. It's just that kind of je ne sais quoi of emotions. <laughs> Ooh, en français. <laughs> I mean, I I did feel emotionally connected. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack on that. I felt intellectually connected to it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't necessarily like feel it in my body the way I do. I, I'm never going to stop talking about After Sun. Yeah. But the way I did in After Sun, where that was just that took control of my body. 
this, I was able to kind of simultaneously watch the film and think about how I related to the film. And those things were kind of, you know, interesting because the film to me is so much about duality. It's about this duality of what we both need and what we want from our parents. Mm -hmm. It's about what they want from us and how we are or are not able to meet that. Mm -hmm. And it's also to me about like the simultaneous desire that I think most of us have felt to like both destroy our parents yeah, and to like just want to please them. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I, I'm almost experiencing this duality of like engaging with the film, but also thinking about my own experiences with what the film is representing. Mm-hmm. But they did feel like two singular things happening at the same time, as opposed to like something conjoined and moving within me. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, I agree. Like, I think if we're kind of like, like if we're trying to kind of put a, a feeling to how it made us feel physically. Like it felt like this was externally pulling me towards mm. what was going on. Whereas after sun felt like it was internally pushed, trying to push out of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was just kind of very inside. <sighs> yeah. And to what you're talking about too, I think the thing that really hit hard for me in this was the idea of expectation. Mm -hmm. And people's expectations that they have for each other, whether it be like I've experienced some very stressful, hurtful, frustrating experiences with expectation in my family life, in my work life. And it's and even even in relationships where there's this expectation that I need to be a certain person, act a certain way, adhere to, you know, what this per this person or whoever wants me to do and it's not always expressed at all or clearly or you know it's this thing that just exists that they have this expectation that i'm supposed to understand without maybe being verbally told what that is and it's just the duality of that right where you're trying to please but you're also pissed that you're that you're doing that Mm -hmm. or you feel like a desire to burn it all down yeah and that's and that's very hard. Expectation can be a very dangerous thing. Well, what I what I loved about this movie, so it's gross. Like there's some great. The effects are fucking awesome in this. There's some like haunting, haunting, and also sad at times, and also tender at times imagery that like I was a hundred percent here for. Yeah, it's yeah. also metaphorical. I love a metaphor. And it's a metaphor that I felt I understood. And then interestingly enough, as I was like going and reading other people's thoughts, my interpretation and understanding of the film is not like a one for one with what other people think. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is interesting because I feel like the metaphor could be very, it's very on the nose if you just kind of take well, that's it what I surface thought. level. That's what I thought until I started reading that other people have different interpretations. And I wonder if it's this thing where I'm becoming more confident in my own personal readings of things and how they are clear and meaningful to me. And then if like that doesn't perfectly align with somebody else, I'm like, ah, well, but this is what I understood from it. Whereas I used to be like, oh, did I get it wrong? And now I'm like, oh, no, maybe there's just there's a part of me that thought this was really on the nose because it was it had such a clear meaning to me metaphorically that I really liked. But I was like, oh, is it too on the nose? But then going and seeing that other people didn't interpret it the same way as me, I'm like, oh, maybe it isn't as on the nose as I think it is. Which is great. Yeah, that that's that's a plus for it. Yeah. Um, but I do love its metaphor. It also is like really uncomfortable at times. Like it's it's hard to watch in moments. 
Mm-hmm. Like I feel for the character of Tina so much. Um, and you know, that character of mother, that actress did a fantastic job being hateable. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a big, a big part of this is that she's wanting to start this like family vlog. And <laughs> as somebody who <clears throat> loves being on YouTube and watching YouTube videos, I've seen so many and heard so many stories about family vlogs and there's just like a toxic truth behind them. Like so many <laughs> where like the dad was having a secret affair with the help or just, you know, I mean, there's a lot of controversy going on on YouTube about something like this right now. Right. Yeah, exactly. The, the try guy stuff. And it, it's just, and it's, it's very jarring to see the realities of being, you know, turning on a personality when the camera's on mm-hmm. and then how quickly that can be shut off. Well, and that's, there was a phrase used a couple of times. It wasn't like overused, um, but it was used a couple of times within the film in the context of this vlogging, mm-hmm. which was, oh, I'll crop it out. Yeah. Which was such a, again, I was like, is it a little on the nose? Maybe, but I like it. This idea that like we, when we're trying to create a particular image, not exclusive to vloggers, mm-hmm. not exclusive to our social media lives, although I think really reflected in social media lives, that ability to crop out the ugly parts or crop out the uncomfortable parts, but it doesn't make them go away. Yeah. It's like the, we just are ignoring them. And I think this film is so much about what happens when a parent ignores the uncomfortable things. Yeah. Which I think lots of parents are really good at doing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It also had a creepy song. Yeah. Loved that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will probably sing that at night every once in a while. Um, at least the melody, because mm-hmm. I can't speak Finnish. Um, I feel like this rides a really great line between, you know, so much of the quote-unquote elevated horror that has been coming out, mm-hmm. but also with just very conventional or with a very, again, accessible story. Yeah, that- I, saw some, I saw some like alien-esque yeah. vibes in this like the like and to a degree that's fun yeah like I, I love that it gives you the opportunity as an audience member to get really heady with it mm-hmm. or it can just be really surface level and just be a this really great well-executed horror movie and in terms of how it fits into not your final girl what i really liked about this one um in terms of the curation of this collection is that this one was about young girls mm-hmm. you know and we've in the last two weekends we've saw we saw We've seen our 10-year-old niece. She's kind of in that age range here, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We really like her. We think she's great. We enjoy her company. But, you know, it hits, these types of movies hit differently for me when I, there's someone in my life, like this happened for us with After Sun too, right? Where there's someone in my life who is that age um, who I really care about. And I, I really appreciate that there was a film in this four film series about young girls, Mm-hmm. not teenagers, young girls, right? And how they are made to be and look a certain way um, and how we expect certain things of them. But there are so many other feelings brewing within them that this film explores. Yeah. And like the the power and the complexity and the, you know, the, and the curatorial statement talks about like these feelings that are so often suppressed. If this film isn't about what happens when young girls are forced to suppress the complicated feelings they have, I don't know what this film is about then. Mm-hmm. And I really, really, really liked that. Um, 
when our niece is just a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Love to watch this movie with her. Yeah. It's so it's so tough, you know, when you just you see on screen these young girls that remind us of our niece and then just also knowing as we get further and further away from being that age and being young people and knowing how hard it is and you know and because we don't have kids aren't going to have kids we'll never ex- like we're not going to re-experience that in any way but like it's hard to hear when our niece is having a hard time with mm-hmm. like just like the drama of friendship at younger ages and the fact that you kind of got to find yourself and your body's changing and everything sucks or everything's awesome and just like how hard it is to go through that as a person mm-hmm. um and and i i can imagine even harder as a young woman mm-hmm. it's uh it, it's difficult to watch that play out on screen when you have somebody in your life who is just a little nugget that you just want to you you want all the good things for mm-hmm. you know but I think how valuable that there's a film that can explore that and have conversations about it. I yeah, I really, really liked it. Yeah. Loved it, I said. Yeah. And I want to say that Siri Sola, Solalina <laughs> crushed it. Unbelievable. Like how she created this gripping performance that's so capable of expressing like so much complication within a look. Ugh. Yeah. Like- and some striking imagery that she is in. You really have to step back and, you know, I've been a part of, through my job, a couple of shoots where we've had to use kid actors and, oh man, is it, is <laughs> it can be just the hardest thing. It can make for a really long day and a really challenging day. And just when you kind of have to step back and realize that this is a child that's basically holding down the whole movie, she crushed it. She did such a great job. Really great child actors are just incredible yeah loved it love this one how'd it make you feel i was totally enthralled and like i kind of said before it felt like it was just like pulling me towards it and it it wouldn't let me go until the credits started rolling um yeah i make you feel it made me feel angry Mm -hmm. but like in a in a way that was really valuable like it made me feel angry for my younger self and like sometimes my current self was that like anger in reflection or was it while things were playing out on screen yeah yeah yep like angry for all of us who have to contain these 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 dual feelings within us Mm -hmm. and navigate that because our parents don't want to do the work to do it (laughs) parents man parents man and 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 at the same time you know, like it's not because I hate my parents at all, mm-hmm. but it's just that anger and frustration that that the child is left to navigate the appeasement, right? Um, I I I really recommend this film. Really, really recommend this film. Yeah, it's really hard to you know think about the fact that if you have parents that believe that they're doing the best they can do, and then what you your feelings toward their best is not great that's hard thing to deal with and you love them at the same time right yeah it's um to me this is the hatching is such a great counterpoint for like petite mama Mm. to me really helps express that like that duality but from like a loving place of kindness yeah and this explores that duality from a place of anger and frustration and i think both are equally valid I think sometimes 
we need that outlet of like to see the justification of those dark feelings. And sometimes we need to like pause and reflect and think about those softer feelings. I'm really glad both, both of those films exist. So Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some dads. Who are the dads of the Not Your Final Girl series? Who is your bad dad nominee? I picked mother. Me too. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Sophia Hakila's mother. Um, my argument here, although I have a feeling we're going to say a lot of the same things, she's concerned with image over reality mm-hmm. and then loses grip on reality. Um, she's focused on desires and wants without thinking about the repercussions, both for herself and for others, when she seeks her desires and wants. She's oblivious, mm-hmm. which is a dangerous thing as a parent to be oblivious to what's going on with your children and immensely hypocritical. Yeah. Agree with all that. And it's the toxic uh, selfishness for me. Yeah. It's, it's seems to be one of our key bad dad traits. We're like, if you are selfish, yeah. we don't want you. <laughs> yeah. Get out of here. Which is why we won't become parents because, <laughs> because we are selfish. Because we are selfish. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah. Done and dusted. Uh, mother. Frick off. who's your ad dad i you know i started even like typing out all my reasons for one character from this movie and then as i kind of sat with it i ended up pivoting to a different character from this movie and i picked laurel from bit oh interesting yeah i i liked i i originally picked duke and oh i would not (laughs) Because I actually think that there's just there's some good reasons and good intentions behind Duke, but yes, it, just where the story kind of goes, it it uh, it it wasn't really driving for me as much. But when I was kind of reflecting on Laurel, like while I kind of struggled with Laurel a bit as a character at the beginning of Bit, where everything kind of nets out, kind of kind of hit home for me a little bit in that. Laurel, you know, learns from experiences that she's had throughout the movie and throughout her life in what's established in the film and that she starts to understand her faults and kind of reckon with them and then grow from them. And then as kind of a result of that, she starts to want to seek betterment for herself, but also others in her life, mm-hmm. which I think is just, you know, that's a really great, that's a, that's a really great kind of full arc to come come to uh by the end of the film that i i, I mean i thought made her a good nominee hmm. well what do you think i picked nevena yeah that's a good one that's a good one tell me i think that that character is dedicated to learning um somebody who is capable of reconsidering prior beliefs and habits and knowledge mm-hmm. in light of new information I think this character is someone who is fundamentally kind, but the thing that made me pick Nevena over everyone else is Nevena is a cycle breaker. And I think the raddest parents are parents who do the work to break the cycle. She's the most not your final girl of the final of the not final girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm down with Nevena. Um, I mean, I loved Laurel. Mm hmm. But it's, yeah, it's just I mean, Laurel is a cycle breaker too, in a way. Yeah. But the cycle breaking of Nevena hits really hard because I think Nevena has some bad dads. Yeah. And Nevena could easily be a bad dad. Yeah, that's good. But does the work to be a rad dad instead. All right. You sold me. You sold me. Okay. I I didn't know which actor to put for Nevena because there's many different versions of Nevena. Yeah. 
So just Nevena. Oh my god, how am I going to do the graphic? <laughs> you have to put all of them. <laughs> all right, cool. I'm down. So Nevena from. You won't be alone. You won't be alone. Be, be our, our dad. dad. We're going to make this week's rad wreck real simple for y'all. Go see the Not Your Final Girl series next year at Metro. Travel to Edmonton if you're not from here. Yeah. Come on out. Spend the weekend here and check out however many films are are shown next year. Um, Like Kylie said, Nicole's been putting this together since 2018. It's a really great series. Really well curated. Gives you a really great range of films. We'll be there with bells on. So come check it out. And if you can't get to Edmonton, watch the movies. Yeah. Like watch along. They they don't tend to be movies that um, you can only access right now in the theaters. They tend to be things that um, you could rent or buy or stream. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can't make it to Edmonton, follow along with Not Your Final Girl. And Not Your Final Girl has a couple social media presences that we'll link to in the show notes mm-hmm. so that you can keep on top of um, what's happening next year. It's a really, I think, important exploration of horror. And I'm really glad to be able to look like we love horror so much and to be able to look at films from a, a explicitly feminist lens um, in this month of horror. So yeah. Keep your eye out on it. And uh, thank you to Nicole for doing such great curation every year. Yeah. And thank you to Metro for hosting it. And thank you for listening. Twice in one week. Yeah, no kidding. We love you. Yeah, big time. Our uh, our next episode and all of our episodes drop every Thursday, with the exception of this one. I don't know. Uh, we're going we're going wild over here. Uh, you can also follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad, on Twitter at baddadradad. You can get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual letterboxed accounts. Links to those will be in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever if you could drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. That is going to do it for these two Not Your Final Girls this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie, and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot, and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember, not all dads have to be bad. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.